In her debut novel, The Song of Achilles, Madeline Miller adapts the Iliad for a modern literary audience. Told from the perspective of Patroclus, Achilles' right-hand man, this epic war story follows both men from childhood to their heroic feats in the Trojan War. It's difficult to spoil this novel for anyone who is familiar with the Iliad. The ending is known, propelling readers forward as they experience politics, war, romance, through the eyes of Patroclus. Miller provides a skillful, more human retelling of this larger-than-life story of gods and men. Let's discuss. Welcome to He Read, She Read, the podcast where a couple of married bookworms discuss what they're reading and learning. Today we're discussing The Song of Achilles by Madeline Miller. I'm Curtis. And I'm Chelsea. Before we dive into our discussion, let's let's use our college degrees, shall we? I never use that, but let's go. <laughs> you do for the podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so to start off, Madeline Miller, the author, this is her debut novel, The Song of Achilles. And she... Um, taught high school for about the last 20 years. According to her website, she taught Latin, Greek, and Shakespeare. She might currently be teaching. I don't know. Um, But she also studied to be a dramaturg at the Yale School of Drama and focused on modern adaptations of classical texts. Yale, not just for nerds, but also for dramatists. Uh, Dramaturgs are nerds. I wanted to be one, which is why I plucked that fact. Because when I first started school, I was an English and theater major. And I wanted to be a dramaturg because it combined my love of literature and history. Dramaturgs do a lot of the historical background research. And I don't know, they basically help the director or in some cases the playwright be as accurate as possible with historical context and social context for plays and adaptations. So now that we get that definition, super nerdy. <laughs> in other words, she'd fit right in with us. But the Song of Achilles is based on the Iliad, which alongside Beowulf is probably one of the first literary texts in the European canon. The Iliad is an epic poem, which is basically just one long story told in poetic verse, and it features a hero, hence an epic. There's a journey, there's a hero. To be honest, I think the Iliad is pretty boring. Not the story, but if you were to sit and read it, I don't think it makes for the most thrilling read. It's just really flowery, the descriptions are a lot, and... It's, I mean, it's a classical text, so it's just kind of a lot to work through. Yeah, I, I think it's more poetic than the Odyssey, which the Odyssey mm-hmm. reads more like an adventure story, and the prose is better for mm-hmm. me, while the Iliad is very poetic. It's really dense. Mm-hmm. This, I think, is a great adaptation in that it cuts a lot of that away and goes to the core of the story and focuses more on character development. The, the Iliad, really, the focus of it is telling a history. Mm-hmm. And back in the day when it was written slash told, people were telling these stories to each other verbally. So anyway, um, the Iliad itself, it focuses on Achilles, the main character, among 
many characters and his heroism during the Trojan War. But like I said, the cast of characters is huge. Kings, gods, goddesses, warriors, soldiers. So many of the themes within the Iliad also appear in the Song of Achilles. We've got fate and destiny is a huge theme. War, humanity, what those things look like when they're mashed together, and life and death. Okay, so in that context of the Iliad, you started off right where it's um, it started off as a spoken history um, that's accredited to Homer, the same as the Odyssey. It's kind of one of two schools where it's a single author or a collection of historians that came together to compose the story. So that's still debated. And then there's still doubt whether or not the Trojan War actually happened. So there's scholarly evidence that there's a city in the same place that they think Troy was, which is now Hisarlik, Turkey. And that city has been visited during even Alexander the Great's time and recognized as the site of the Trojan War. But there's still a a debate about whether the actual events of the Trojan War happened or whether they're just a series of events thrown together from like the Bronze Age of the Greeks, so like 1600s to 1100 BC, and a bunch of sieges and expeditions and adventures, and then whether that just came together by Homer or whoever did that. And so the Iliad itself covers about the last month or six weeks or so of the 10th year of the Trojan War, if we're to believe that the Trojan War actually happened. Um, and the focus of the Song of Achilles is it kind of splits it half and half. So it's the lead up to the Trojan War and then the Trojan War is the second half. We'll kind of get into it later on, but I, I very much preferred the first half to the second half. Um, but the second half aligns pretty well with the Iliad. So it focuses on uh, Achilles and his fallout with Agamemnon, who's the overall king of the Greeks, and how events happen to lead up to the eventual downfall of Troy. I feel like maybe we should just give just a little really quick synopsis of the lead up. So the mythology, which you could have, you could know this without ever reading the Iliad or the Odyssey because it's retold in popular culture a lot or referenced in other books a lot. Or or if you've seen the Brad Pitt movie. Yes. If you've seen Troy. Epitome of early 2000s Brad Pitt is just muscles coming out of it. It's a good movie though, I think. Yeah. The tale is that Paris, the prince of Troy, went and stole Helen, King Menelaus's wife, because he thought she was real cute. Like the cutest ever. Ever, ever. (laughs) (laughs) She was supposedly like the most beautiful woman in the world. So he took her and took her back to Troy, and obviously Menelaus is pissed because guy stole his wife Mm -hmm. so menelaus enlists his brother agamemnon to help him and then they collect a huge army and they sail from greece right Mm. yep to troy to take the city and get helen back basically so it's really like a battle over honor more than anything it's not like political necessarily well that's the face that's put on it like the real story is that Agamemnon really just wants Troy Mm -hmm. and the power that comes along with it so he was looking for an excuse yeah and so he's using the theft of his brother's wife as the excuse right which makes sense and then there's other things that kick off because of the war like Mm -hmm. Achilles has been told that he's going to be this greatest warrior of his generation but he needs a war in order to be that warrior Mm -hmm. so it kicks off his story 
and gets into that discussion about whether he was fated to do this or had like any role in what was going to happen or whether he was just executing his destiny. And that's, I would say that's more of the historical point of view, whereas the song of, in the song of Achilles, Madeline Miller sticks to the mythology of this is a war fought over Helen, really. Yeah. That's, I guess you could say like the literary versus the historic version, which we can speculate about both of them. We're not even sure that we're talking about real things here. (laughs) But the cool thing about it is the story has been used for thousands of years to talk about relationships between people and how those affect choices and those things. So it's run a full spectrum of Homer never said that there was a a romantic relationship between Achilles and Patroclus. In the years following, like when Plato and those philosophers were writing about it in the 5th and 4th century BC, they said that there was a romantic relationship. Um, there's a romantic relationship in Shakespeare's play, Trollus and Cressida, which covers the whole Trojan War. And then when Alexander the Great visited Troy, um, he visited the tomb of Achilles and Patroclus along with his intimate friend, Hephaestion. Mm-hmm. And then that was a lot of a parallel because... In that day and age in the Greeks, there was a lot of where you would have this really close friend that you were also romantic with, and it was just that special relationship. So Alexander the Great's a well-known figure who had one of those relationships, and so going to Achilles and Patroclus's tomb in front of his whole army was a way for him to kind of just say, hey, I'm with this dude. He's my best friend. Mm-hmm. We love each other. You're, y'all are going to have to deal with it. Everybody be cool. Yeah. So that's a cool note that I found in like the historical context where when he was doing his campaigns in Asia, he made a quick point to stop by Troy and be like, hmm. hey man, I love you like Achilles love Patroclus. That's, that's really sweet. Right? It's <laughs> romantic. That's pretty cool. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's, that's one of the key things that Madeline Miller highlights in this adaptation is the relationship between Patroclus and Achilles. So here's the deal. She knows Greek and Latin. So I'm thinking she's not just reading the Iliad as we read it, the translated version. She went back to the Greek, I'm sure, and made these human relationships come to life in this novel in a new way. And part of that was the romantic relationship. Yeah. Well, part of that is she kicks that off in the front where she's talking about Patroclus and sets him up as the narrator when she calls him a therapin. A therapin is like a really close companion, like almost like a lover. Mm-hmm. And so she's kicking it off from the front being like, hey, in the Greek, when they were talking about this, they knew that this was a special relationship mm-hmm. because there's no way that Achilles had the response that he did in the Iliad if it wasn't that level of love. Like mm-hmm. when are we are we just putting the banner well, off spoilers? I think so. So, yes. First of all, I think we have a good handful of listeners who have read the book who are listening to this. A lot of people are very like true to we're going to read it and then we're going to listen but also, it's the Iliad is almost treated like a historical text. The story is known. I, I feel like even in the book, you know what how the ending is going to be within mm-hmm. the first 150 pages or so. Yeah. So, yes. So I'm not going to feel bad about spoiling anything. We're spoiling the Iliad. We're not really spoiling the Song of Achilles. Okay, like, so there's when, a lot to read in there that you can get more out of it even with spoilers. So, so. When, so when Patroclus dies... <gasps> shut oh! Up. I'm, uh, yeah. <laughs> So that's the whole, that's the point in the Iliad that kicks off Achilles' rage. And Achilles' rage is like the first line of the Iliad after they do the invocation for the muses. And it talks about his accursed rage. And you don't have that level of anger unless you have 
the love for the person that just died. So that's what kicks off his fight with Hector, which leads to his ultimate death. So that's the point I think that she's trying to highlight is that even in these ancient texts, they're pointing out that there's a really special relationship between these two. Like they love each other. They've been Mm -hmm. companions for decades. And then when Patroclus dies, it sets off Achilles in his destructive path. It's just that the poems never go into detail about how their relationship came to be, which I think is the fun part about reading this book is that she sets up that whole entire backstory. So it is even more emotional when you get to the end, knowing what's going to happen. Yeah. And being able to feel more of the rage of Achilles because you've grown to love these characters and love their relationship together. I think it was interesting that this relationship has ebbed and flowed as society changes, like as people's, how they felt about homosexuality and relationships between men changes over the years. Like when it was like the dark ages, it was very platonic because that was kind of a church smacking down on that. Mm -hmm. And then I found a story about um, a book by Jonathan Shea, which is called Achilles in Vietnam, Mm -hmm. which kind of talked about Achilles and Patroclus as a brotherly model of love as both being warriors and fighting. And then that was a way for Vietnam veterans to process death being like, Hey, I had this buddy that I was really Mm -hmm. close with and I saw him die and I don't really know how to react to that. Hmm. So not taking the romantic side of it, but being like, hey, this is my brother who I Mm -hmm. fought with, and then now he's not here anymore. How would that make me feel? Hmm. So then his book, I really want to read it because it used that model during Vietnam to be like, hey, these two guys back in the Trojan War times dealing with the same stuff. That's interesting. That is really interesting. And then today you get the hashtag Patrachilles, which... I did a deep dive on Instagram. I don't know if you did any of that stuff, but no. <laughs> it's like a it's like a modern art example of like um, putting Achilles and Patroclus in like a high school and like putting quotes from Madeline Miller's book and then they oh, ha- shipping them yeah and they hashtag it with uh, Patroclus, <laughs> which was entertaining. If, if there's anybody listening that hasn't seen that yet, check it out. It's kind of fun. That is funny. Yeah, that that is a good point. That I think as we get modern adaptations and we get retellings what the retellings reveal about the older texts is more indicative of our modern time than it is of that time. Agreed. So, yeah. And this was published 2012? I think so, yeah. So, society still has a long way to go. But, okay. So, I think we've kind of touched on this, but I was just curious about your prior experience with the Iliad and Greek mythology in general before reading The Song of Achilles. So, I read the Odyssey in high school, like everybody, um, and then I took Greek and Roman mythology in college mm-hmm. twice, because the first time I was sleeping through all of my <laughs> classes, um, but I took it again <laughs> uh, my senior year. It was kind of a... Uh, I think it was a requirement for some sort of like philosophy or whatever but in my history program. But I loved it. Like the second time around, great class. <laughs> when you woke up. Yeah when, I, yeah, when I woke up and like actually read the material, it was just like, yeah, this is interesting. Um, but we read the Iliad. I've read it a couple of times since then. I have the same relationship that you do where I think the Odyssey is better. Mm-hmm. It's better prose. Odysseus, I think, is more intriguing character mm-hmm. than Achilles. Achilles is kind of an ass. Um, but I'm familiar with the stories because they're kind of told and retold mm-hmm. um and also i really love the 2004 movie troy because yes. brad pitt and eric banna busting out of their uniforms with just yeah love it 
Look, as soon as Achilles is just like, I don't even care, but I'm going to go kill this guy because you guys are making me. But he like runs with his little short sword and dodging spears and jumps up and stabs the guy. I was just like, that's so cool. Oh, goodness. So I actually read the Iliad in high school and didn't read the Odyssey until I taught it to high schoolers. That's really weird. So did you have to take Western Civilization? Yes. It was an honors class in high school, uh-huh. freshman year? Yeah. That's so, where that's where I read the, or I got the inspiration for Gates of Fire, which was is one of my okay. favorite historical fiction books. Also, guys, we never mentioned this, but this is one of our recommendations from What Should I Read Next? The Song of Achilles. The Song of oh Achilles. yeah, Anne Bogle recommended this book to us. By the way, Thanks. name drop. Thanks, Anne. <laughs> as soon as you were saying Western Civilization, it all came full circle. All right. Well, we had different teachers for Western Civ, even though. Also, don't know if we brought this up on the podcast, but we went to the same high school. Anyway. Moving on. (laughs) My teacher had us read the Iliad. I don't think we read the whole entire thing. Segments. Segments. And I'm pretty sure we watched Troy in class. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, I liked learning about it and everything, but then I don't think I really gained an appreciation for either story until I started reading the Odyssey and teaching that text to my students and we had a lot of fun with greek mythology and odysseus is a way more fun character i think for sure i mean i enjoyed achilles and patroclus but honestly every time that odysseus came in the up in the book i was way more excited he's a much more interesting character like he's got he is the one pulling the strings behind the uh-huh. scene. he's very much a varus character like from game of thrones where yeah. he's controlling the background while these guys that are hot-headed are in the front doing mm-hmm. their thing and even so miller describes him all the time as just like having this constant smirk on his face like well, i, I know something that. you don't know love that and that he's he's a smart ass basically mm-hmm. so yeah i think we're both drawn to that <laughs> gee i wonder I why, wonder why. <laughs> you never read the odyssey until you were getting ready to teach it Mm-mm. interesting i kind of knew the story but yeah, I did kind of a deep dive into Greek mythology and the Odyssey when I was like, oh, this is in the curriculum. All right, I feel study like the, up. I feel like the Iliad is more difficult to comprehend in a high school setting. I don't know. I think so. With the Odyssey, it's like there's a lot more that happens. Yeah. The Iliad is about one main war and battle, really. And doesn't really even cover the whole story. No. It just is like the segmented period. With the Odyssey, you do get to cover that backstory because Odysseus obviously the Odyssey follows him trying to get home from the Trojan War but you get to cover that fun backstory but then Odysseus has multiple adventures so you can teach it in short segments and take pieces of it and go really in depth with that Mm -hmm. and yeah I just think it's more fun but do we want to talk general thoughts about the book yeah what did you think overall about the Song of Achilles I loved the first half Mainly when we're talking about, you know, the ship between Patrick When they're building their relationship. Yeah. Yeah, they're cute. Like when mm-hmm. they're just like being coy about their relationship and then all of a sudden they're just like, hey, my mom can't see us. Let's do it. Let's make out. Let's, let's do it. <laughs> but they're, I like that side because it's more of a human side of Achilles mm-hmm. where he's like, I don't even know if I want to go to war. Like yeah. I'm supposed to be this giant killing well, machine. And so it follows their really young when they first meet each other is patroclus what like 13 or something 11, or 11 11 or 13 yeah and achilles same age is about the same age as him but 
they really, it's a coming of age story. Yes. In the, especially in the first half. It's them going through adolescence and then their teenage years together. And then when they're fighting the war, they're young men. So it's really a coming of age story as well. I actually thought like this could really be taught in high school as a young adult novel just because of their ages. Yeah. I thought it could really work well as YA. So anyway. I would have been fine with just continuing the whole book and not even going to Troy. Really? Yes. I, I liked the whole buildup of, because it's some of the portions of the myth that I haven't really heard about. Like mm-hmm. when they go and get their education from... Chiron. Chiron, yeah. I liked that part. That, I loved him. That was my favorite part. So yeah. when they're learning how to, you know, play music and live mm-hmm. off the land. I could have done a whole book of that whole story before they even go to Troy. Mm-hmm. Because once they go to Troy, it just kicks off the same story that I've heard before where sure. Achilles is obsessed with his own mystique. Patroclus is, you know, his companion really trying to... In this one, it brought up more that you're trying to see his humanity. Mm-hmm. Because Patroclus is very much a minor character in a lot of the other things that you've read. Like, he's barely mentioned in the Iliad. Yeah. In Troy, he's not really a major character. Um, so I could have done with more of the build-up in the coming-of-age story in the first half. But I, I love the book. I think that she did a great job of, like, for even people who are familiar with the story, exposing new aspects of the myth that you wouldn't have really thought about. Yeah, and... I thought the way that it was written was really accessible. It's it's literary. It very won the Orange Prize. Yes, but the prose is very straightforward. Um, she does have excellent descriptions. I loved every time Thetis showed up <laughs> and she described her and described how like she's a sea nymph. She's the- like a sea goddess. Thetis is uh, Achilles' mom. Yes. But I loved how Miller described her as she would like walk and the grass would die under her because she's sopping wet because she just came out of the ocean. <laughs> I loved a, that. She's also a goddess who's like very much like, I don't even want to be here. Right. I want to take my son and go down to my sea caves. Yes. Um, so I really liked that. And I thought that she gave her a much larger role in this story as well. Because Thetis would barely be mentioned in the Iliad because female. Of course. But... She was, and I think she was in one scene in Troy, the mm-hmm. movie, and that might have even been a deleted scene for the extended cut. Probably. So yeah, I I really liked this, and I think that in terms of mixing our reading tastes, this is definitely a sweet spot. Yeah, YA coming of age, and then me for the historical fiction. It's not lore. YA though. I well, just think I'm, it could be. Like I think the first half functions very much like a, a YA coming of age yeah. story. And then it kicks off more of a historical fiction retelling of the Trojan War. Yeah. Um, but it's it's literary without being overly flowery or pretentious. Yes. Agreed. So, okay. Um, let's just touch a little bit on Patroclus as the narrator. Because everything that we get from beginning to end, even after he dies... Patroclus is narrating this, so we only see things from his perspective and his point of view, mm-hmm. which is especially interesting since, like you said, he is a very minor character. That's part of the artfulness of Miller is having to give him an entire identity mm-hmm. that did not necessarily come from other sources. Whereas like Odysseus, yeah, obviously she gives him this personality, but that's the personality that he has from Homer. the Odyssey, from Homer, from everything else. But Patroclus was more of a clean slate for her to mm-hmm. shape. So what did you think of him narrating the book? Well, I thought it was an interesting way to frame the whole Trojan War piece at the front end where 
he's a prince going as a suitor for Helen with all the mm-hmm. other Trojan or with all the other Greeks kings. Mm-hmm. And he talks about um, how Odysseus comes up with the plan that if somebody comes after Helen, that they'll all come together. Kind of like a World War One powder keg situation where all these countries are just going to automatically declare war and have these alliances Mm -hmm. and i love how she talks about odysseus that he's too clever by half Um, well i love because he comes up with this plan but he's already unbeknownst to everybody else he's already betrothed to penelope yep so he thinks well i'm with penelope so like all these other guys i'm set let's let them do it and he like sits back thinking he's gonna be left out of the pact and then Agamemnon's like, nah, man, you're you're coming up here. (laughs) But I thought that that was a cool scene where we were getting Patroclus's eyes to tell us and frame the rest of the story. And Mm -hmm. then when he talks about how his father never really cared for him and he's more of an intellectual, loves music, and then all of a sudden, randomly, one day he kills a boy, that just is an excuse for his dad to ship him off and be like, hey, see ya, you're not going to have anything to do with me later on. Um. The whole point that there's all these boys that Peleus is kind of raising. Achilles' uh, father. Yeah. And how they're all like together and training them to be soldiers and mercenaries and all this other stuff. I thought that that was a cool way to like introduce Achilles as like a boy where he's not a killer, where he like we don't even know really what he's capable of. He's just a kid. He like Mm -hmm. sits in a room with all these other guys. He just likes attention. He likes to juggle. He Mm -hmm. plays the liar and all that stuff. So I liked that aspect where Patroclus has a unique ability to tell us what he sees and how that is going to frame the entire story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and lots of talk about Achilles' feet, which is weird. Is it, though, considering the myth of his heel, which Miller never brings up? So, because Homer never brought it up. Right. So she's very, like, in line with the Homer, like, history, where that whole thing about mm-hmm. Achilles' invincibility came after the Iliad was like published. So people have this like view of mythology where Achilles is like immune to Mm -hmm. danger because he was dipped in the river Styx. That's not Homer. That's not something that Madeline Miller talks about. Mm -hmm. And I can actually like that better because it just says that like, Hey, he's really fast. He's like just naturally good at killing people, but he's not like, well, okay, but let's talk naturally good. His, he is a little bit of a God. His mother is a, lesser goddess right but he's not invincible no is the thing like i hate that whole thing about him being invincible except for his heel yeah because that's just i don't like that whole part of the story but it exists through today like that's the reason that your achilles is called your achilles because of him but in reality it's just he's part god Mm -hmm. so he's he's got supernatural abilities and talents to the point where people pretty much worship him Mm -hmm. and are willing to follow him wherever but he yeah he's not invincible he's just super super good <laughs> mm-hmm. but i liked that that story was how we got to introduce to achilles was yeah. through patroclus being like hey who's that dude that can juggle he's got nice feet <laughs> but it wasn't even just that it wasn't even that he like had a crush on him right away or anything it was that achilles was very obviously in charge because he is the true son of peleus he's not one of the like foster kids basically yeah and his so and his dad has been looking for his companion mm-hmm. to like be his kind of right hand man for yeah. a while and achilles is just mr popular mm-hmm. partly because he's got like he's got literally the most power because he's the heir to the kingdom that they're all residing in 
Um, and I don't think that people really knew at that point that he was special in terms of ability. Remember, he was training by himself and stuff. But they knew. Like, the whole point is that his mother had a prophecy that went around that mm-hmm. he's going to go to war and die young, but he's going to be the greatest warrior that anybody's ever seen. But I thought that in the book they didn't really bring that up right away. I think he... I remember as soon as Achilles was, like, talking to Patroclus, mm-hmm. that that was one of the first couple things that they talked about. So Peleus knows. And it, I think Achilles knows, but I don't know that everybody else did. I don't know. I feel, I feel like that's something that's well known. Is Maybe that, we'll have to look back at that part, but I did here's... You, did you like him as a narrator, though? Did you feel like he was effective? Okay, I like retellings where a minor character is telling the story because, like you said, you get a broader scope of things. Um, one thing that I thought... So, obviously, Patroclus's narrator, we get to know him as a character, and he is a sweetheart. Mm-hmm. And he's super skilled as a doctor and a surgeon. He's got just a soft, empathetic heart for everybody. We see that with the way that he falls so head over heels for Achilles, but also with the way that he treats Achilles' first wife starts with a D. I don't really exactly know how to pronounce it, but it's Datamea. Okay. Datamea, Datamea. Anyway, he's super empathetic to her. And then he really develops a sweet relationship with Briseis, Mm -hmm. who is the slave girl living with him and Achilles. Their relationship in the second half is what held the whole thing together for me. Oh, it was so endearing and sweet. And you very clearly see his empathy throughout. And whereas we see all of these other super selfish kings, he's the one character that's really, truly selfless and seems like he's fighting this war and cares about the humanity of even the people that he's fighting versus just himself. So he's truly like the more empathetic, selfless character. Obviously, those things are also his downfall. Yep, because world stuff... Yeah, but so, and I thought it was also interesting. So obviously with the Iliad, it's very much hero worship of Achilles as this amazing guy. And we kind of get that with Patroclus too, because he's got rose-colored glasses on as far as Achilles is concerned. Yes. He he loves him wholeheartedly, but he sees his faults, and yet he doesn't want to. He, like, just wants to see the good in Achilles. And... One question that was on my mind with Patroclus as narrator was, were we getting a completely genuine view of who Achilles was? I think so, because there's change. Like, if it was completely rose-colored, I feel like in the second half, when Achilles kind of just develops into the same, you know, arrogant ass that Mm -hmm. we know and love, that might have had some rose-colored tendency as well. But I think... Patroclus is very objective, where in the first half, he is just in love and sees all the good sides of Achilles, where he plays the lyre and sings, and is still very athletic and has all these things. But as soon as he like gets in a war context and has his bloodlust, and then has all these people coming around him being like, hey, you're the best ever, la, 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 la. you're going to save us. Then we see the decline of Achilles. Sure. So I feel like Patroclus can be trusted as a reliable narrator. I guess I agree with that, but I had a hard time reconciling early Achilles with later Achilles 
because you tell this guy who's got supernatural abilities, you're going to be an amazing hero once you go to war and he wants all the fame and whatever. And it just felt like he was downplaying it a little bit for Patroclus's sake. So we see this very clear turn after Achilles makes his first kill and realizes like, okay, yeah, I am going to be good at this. Oh, he's got the post-combat euphoria. Like Totally. I wrote that down where it's just like, he's recounting everything to Patroclus. He's covered in blood. He's just like, I couldn't miss Mm -hmm. out there. I wish you'd seen me. Yeah. Like to him, it's a sporting event where he wishes that people were watching him. Totally. Prior to that, he's super hesitant about killing anybody, doesn't want to go to war, but... He's got his mom in one ear telling him, you're going to be amazing. You're going to be the best warrior ever, except I don't want you to go because you're going to die young. (laughs) And he's got that. And then he's got Patroclus in another ear that's like, war is horrible. You don't want to be killing. It's not humane. It's terrible. And I just feel like Achilles probably deep down was like, but I want the fame. It's just that he didn't want to come out and tell that to Patroclus. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I guess I didn't see that very much because we're just getting it from Patroclus's side. So you do kind of see this arc of Achilles going from boy, like naive boy to like experienced man of, oh yeah, I am really good at this and this is all I want to do. This mm-hmm. is what I'm born for. Yeah. But I just feel like somewhere in there and maybe more true to the stories, he would have been itching to go and itching to fight and gain his fame. I see where you're going with that, but you think that that's just Patroclus having his rose-colored glasses on Maybe a little bit, because the pride that Achilles has by the end, and that's really his downfall, because we know, hero's journey. Pride, They've all got to have a downfall. They've all got something that brings them down. And for Achilles, it's not his heel. No, it's (laughs) his pride. It is pride. And I feel like that's a quality that you develop. You know, obviously you can get prideful based on something, but I just feel like that had to be part of him all along. I don't know. I'm on the opposite side where I feel like he just flipped a switch the moment that he got to Troy and like threw his first spear that killed a dude. Sure. So maybe it was just kind of abrupt to me, and I don't, I don't know. I guess I just didn't find all of his hesitation as believable as Patroclus, because Patroclus and his hesitation. Super believable. Yeah. Well, I mean, do you think if Paris never stole Helen, that the two of them would have just been, you know, living it up and... That's what the book suggests. That's what Patroclus thinks. He's like, if this war wasn't going on, Achilles and I would just like be chilling with Chiron and playing the lyre and making out all the time. I bought into that. Like, I feel like if the war doesn't happen, I could see the setup where the two of them are just really hopelessly Mm -hmm. in love and want to be with each other. But Achilles has Thetis telling him he's going to be amazing and gain fame and be a hero. I feel like he did a good job of saying that that's... I don't know how to say this. I didn't I didn't see the evidence that laid out that he was itching for it. I feel sure. like he was being very hesitant, being like, I don't really know. My, my mom's telling me this. My mom's telling me that. It's kind of like when your parents are telling you to do something... And you don't want to do it only because your parents telling you to do it. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. So I read into that. Maybe that was a little bit of me projecting it. But um, like my mom telling me that I would have been a good lawyer. But he does. I bought into the fact that he isn't really sure he wants to go to war until there's a war to be fought. 
Sure. And then once it happens and he tastes it and he's got that euphoria, mm-hmm. he's chasing it the whole time. And then that just develops his pride over the next 10 years. Like, yeah. you got to remember, the, the war is 10 years. Yeah. So that's a long time for that pride to develop. Yeah. Um, I guess I just, I was trying to, and obviously this is part of what Miller's goal was, is that she wanted to give us a more human side to the heroes that we all know. Yes. But I think especially because I have more experience with the Odyssey and Odysseus and seeing, experiencing him a little bit more and his arrogance and confidence. In my head, I already had Achilles as the confident, arrogant hero who knew he was the best. Yeah. And so I had to like reconcile my idea of him with this new side to him. Yeah. I could see a very definite switch to where that happened. And that's when the books kind of went downhill for me was mm. at that midway point because that's the achilles he that liked sensitive achilles i loved him i know I lo- he was so cute like sensitive achilles being like patrickless i love you bro but not bro because like you know i love you love you i love you love you but that was believable for me like yeah. because he was in an environment where he was learning he was playing music they were hunting they were learning how to like take care of each other mm-hmm. and his mom wasn't there so as soon as his mom showed up and then there was a war going on, it all went downhill. Ugh, moms. Worst. <laughs> if you can avoid it at all costs, don't have a mother who's a sea nymph and part god. Yeah, she's awful, but I love her. <laughs> I, do, I don't know why. I just got really excited every time that Thetis showed up. And I loved the description of her, first of all. I just thought it was great. But also... So there are mentions of other gods and the influence that they have for the war. We learn about Zeus, Apollo, Athena, and sort of how they're playing a chess game with all of the mortals. Mm -hmm. But a sea nymph is not necessarily, like, she's low ranking in terms of the gods. But she's kind of attached her coattails to her son, who's going to be like one of the more well-known mortals of all time. Right. And I don't know, I just really found her compelling, which makes me think... That as much as I liked the Song of Achilles, I will love Circe, Madeline Miller's second book, even more. Well, we're both going to read that one, too, so that'll yes. be interesting. Do you just want to dive in and talk about our other favorite side characters now that you just were talking sure. about? Sure. Um, obviously, Odysseus, because of our collective Odyssey experience. I love the way that she portrays him. Like, we've already mentioned he's just constantly got this smirk. He's got this... I know something you don't know. He's just playing chess mm-hmm. while everybody else is punching each other in the face. Mm-hmm. So to me, he's a very compelling character from the get-go because he's at the, you know, World War One powder keg situation <laughs> with the Helen suitors. And then throughout, he shows up at opportune times being like, hey man, Achilles, I know you really like that dude, Patroclus, but you got to go fight this war. Mm-hmm. And then I thought he was really redeeming at the end after patroclus dies he goes in and was just like look those two deserve to be buried together Mm -hmm. and their story was awesome and we kind of see a a a more human side of odysseus in the end we see him that's like him being a dad almost yeah he has a son back home obviously he hasn't seen him in 20 or years 20 years um and that's i found that he kind of served as a father figure a little bit in training Achilles sort of like to not be so naive. Yeah. And then at the end to like 
asked for them to be buried together. I feel like that was kind of like, oh, dad. Nice job. <laughs> but um, I think one of my favorite parts was when, so Achilles is hiding undercover in basically like this little harem and he's disguised as a woman. And Odysseus comes and he needs to get Achilles because he man. knows he needs him to fight. Clock's ticking. We got to go fight the Trojans. And he is like, hey, so we want to watch the dancing girls. So they sit there and they watch the dancing girls. And then Odysseus causes a commotion, which means like Achilles, who is trained, but also naturally has this ability to fight, like basically rips off his girl clothes and like grabs a sword and is like ready to stand guard and Odysseus is like ha gotcha (laughs) (laughs) I don't know I guess yeah I I guess really loving the Odyssey that was seeing Odysseus in his element Mm -hmm. that was really fun I think most of the other major characters from the Iliad so we're talking Ajax Menelaus Agamemnon are all pretty much true to form nothing really new Mm -hmm. the other character that was very well developed for me was Briseis yes so I feel like that's just how Madeline Miller showed Patroclus's empathy and how he was drawn to these characters in the first half. It's Achilles being like, I love you. I want to develop like we're going to have this thing in the second half when Achilles is kind of an ass. He sees Briseis and they develop another really important relationship for the whole book. And it's not really romantic. No, it's platonic. from her. I think she, she wants kind it of, to be romantic. Yeah, but he's just like no. Nah. Um, and yet it's this really deep friendship where he really does care about her. Maybe it's even like a sisterly affection. And I, I loved the part too where he was kind of talking to Achilles and he was like, you know, I'm actually kind of thinking about having a baby with Perseus because I would love to have a kid, mm-hmm. and I kind of want that, and I would love to be a dad. And Achilles is kind of like, well do what you want like i'm busy so (laughs) you've got the time got these bodies to stack (laughs) um and patroclus instead of just going for it and really being again being selfish he can't break that loyalty to achilles and he tells Perseus no and yet he still really obviously cares for her because she plays a significant role in his actions mm-hmm. later in the book. So I was expecting that story to go a different way because Briseis is kind of the focal point of the major conflict in the Iliad where she's stolen by Agamemnon and it's a star or a stain on Achilles' honor and he refuses to fight, which still holds true in the Song of Achilles. But in other references, and in Troy, for an example, there's a romantic relationship between Achilles and Briseis. Mm-hmm. And the absence of that, I felt, was more effective. But also kind of, it emphasized the point that it's not about feelings or emotions for Achilles. It's about his pride. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't care about Briseis or any of the other girls that they've taken in that Patroclus is drawn to and helped develop and do all that thing. Achilles is so in love with his own mystique at this point. And he cannot fathom anything that's a, perceived as a stain on his honor. Mm-hmm. He wants to be the top dog of all the Greeks, and he can't stand that Agamemnon is choosing to cross him. So I thought that that was a good tool by Miller where she could have gone one of two ways with that. Could have been like, hey, Briseis is, is going to have this romantic relationship with Achilles, but it's more effective for me that 
there isn't that and it's more about his pride that mm-hmm. brings him to downfall in the end. I agree. And that it's more from Patroclus's standpoint. And okay, remind me, Patroclus's motivation to go fight and pretend to be Achilles is Briseis in the book. I think honestly, he's just sick of all the Greeks dying. So he, it's from it. It's not about Briseis from right. the way that I was reading it. It's he has taken care of so many of the soldiers and kings that, like, and he actually has relationships with them where he knows them by name. He's close to them, and seeing all of them die while Achilles mm-hmm. is sitting back, he can't stand it. Mm-hmm. Like he's so empathetic that seeing everyone die when his lover and Achilles is just sitting back and not doing anything. Mm-hmm. He can't stand that. So if even if he wears Achilles armor and can't effectively fight like Achilles mm-hmm. can, he knows what like he knows the weight that that will have mm-hmm. on the army. The army will flock to that yeah. and it'll be motivation to fight back. And also not to mention like the Trojans are knocking on their door at that point. Like mm-hmm. they're right up on the beaches. They're about to murder everyone and mm-hmm. kick them off of the beach. So the moment where Patroclus, he's wearing Achilles' armor, he's in the chariot, he's throwing spears, and he starts to get that same feeling as Achilles of like the war euphoria and mm-hmm. the adrenaline of like, hey, I can actually do this. And that was a moment where I will say you can see, you can understand why Achilles is the way he is. Yes. Because you see Patroclus, who doesn't want to fight, is super empathetic, is selfless, is a sweetheart you see that even he can be transformed by war. And so that's a very clear arc or a very clear indication of this theme of war changes you no matter what. You were like beforehand, war is going to change you. Mm -hmm. Okay, so there was this moment early in the book where Thetis is talking to Achilles and then he comes back to Patroclus and Patroclus is like, what did your mom want? And Achilles was like, well, she wants to take me down to these sea caves, but like dad says that people change when they go there and then they come back a different person. Mm -hmm. And I felt like that was a little bit of foreshadowing of taking a man to war and then he comes back a completely different person and you can't go back after seeing things. I thought it was just a reference for later on when she takes Achilles' son Pyrus mm-hmm. and kind of molds him into her perfect little image of what she wants him to be. That to me was the point that she tried to make Achilles' son into who she wanted that person to be. And as soon as a mortal goes down to those sea caves, they come back just not even human. I didn't see that as a metaphor for war, but I can see where you're going with that. Mm-hmm. Do we want to talk about the romance and the relationship? I don't know. Or do we I feel mean, like I we addressed like... it? I feel like we've addressed the importance of the romance between Achilles and Patroclus. And um, I did pull out a quote. So um, we talked a little bit about how modern retellings and adaptations and what authors take away can be suggestive of the time period that they're writing in. Mm -hmm. So 2012, um, we see more of a movement towards acceptance of people in the LGBTQ community. Um, But so this was a quote that I pulled and I just think it's interesting because it's Miller setting up historical context for their relationship and how it will be perceived. 
She says, Many boys took each other for lovers, but such things were given up as they grew older, unless it was with slaves or hired boys. Our men liked conquest. They did not trust a man who was conquered himself. So I thought that was interesting because you brought up Alexander the Great having this best friend companion who maybe was more than friends, but it seemed like Miller was saying in the context of the book that what Achilles and Patroclus had was not uncommon in terms of the homosexuality, but because they were seen as almost equals, like they're both kings and they're both well, are princes, um, and they're of more equal social standing, and they're literally in a committed relationship versus just a sexual relationship, that that was looked down upon because they weren't just using each other for sex. They loved each other, and they would put each other before the other person. That is the important distinction, and I'm glad that it's highlighted in both that quote and in the book overall is that throughout like ancient Greece, you're going to see a lot of these relationships, homosexuals with like an older man and a boy. Mm-hmm. There's a word for that. I was looking it up the other day, but I couldn't remember what it is. But it's something that's purely for sex. Mm-hmm. And that's either boys when they're younger as exploration or as like a domineering thing. Mm-hmm. It's not something that's supposed that in this society is supposed to be equal and actually like a mutual love for each other. And to that end, that's how women are supposed to be viewed too. Like your relationship yes. with your wife is not supposed to be mutual admiration, mutual love. It's not supposed to be a mutual relationship at all. Not equal. The person that you partner up with, if you're a man, you're supposed to have power over them. I mean, they talk about how Peleus, Achilles' dad, basically raped his mom mm-hmm. in order to have him. Yeah. And that's so common in this like ancient Greek culture and then in these myths where the female characters are so side characters that they're a lot of times subhuman. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that was a good point that in the second half of the book where she really humanizes Briseis mm-hmm. and we see her as a more defined character. And that's why I'm kind of really intrigued to read Circe too, just to see the war from that perspective. Anyway, so I think that that gives us an even better idea of what's at stake for them. People kind of accept their relationship just because Achilles is... Who he is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But there is definitely some side-eyeing. And Miller does a good job of explaining why that in the context of the time, it's because they treat each other as equals and the sexual relationship that they're having is mutual it's loving it's a relationship it's not power and dominance which is what most of these men are after in terms of literally their entire lives but also sex so on the outside of the relationship there's that look in where they're just like yeah you're gonna do whatever you're gonna do we Mm kind of it's not how we would normally do it but then within the relationship there's also this time aspect where patroclus knows that this is finite as as soon as achilles goes to war like the prophecy dictates it says like look hector's gonna die before achilles as soon as hector dies achilles is gonna die Mm -hmm. so he talks all the time he's just like how long do we have is hector still alive yes so to him he is looking at it and says like this is a very fleeting relationship I'm going to enjoy what I have while I have it, but then it still has the pressure of, you're just looking at an hourglass being Mm -hmm. like, I don't know how long we have. I don't know when this relationship is going to be over. 
I really just want to hold on to them as long as I can. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that I really related to him in that way, not because of like you. I don't worry about your death when you get deployed. <laughs> My death has not been prophesized by a nymph, guys, just so you guys know. But, but being in the military, there is this element of they could uh, call you up anytime. How long do we have? Before... How long do we have before the next separation? Not before death. Like, I don't, I really don't think about that. But it, it's that thing of you make the most of the time that you have together because you don't know the next time that you're going to be apart. So that's why I think I like the first half more as the coming of age development mm-hmm. piece because they really don't know like the war yeah. is nowhere near in sight but it's still in the back of their minds they're like oh this is awesome but how long is this going to be mm-hmm. and then once the war kicks off it's very much more pressure yeah being like is it, is hector still alive all this like they want yeah. you to go kill him but you can't because you're going to die right after that and he's just trying to hold on to achilles as long as he can i honestly think that we just enjoyed the first half of the story more because it was new yeah. yeah. Like, I, I really, when it when we boil it down to bare minimum here, we like the first half of the book more. Not that we didn't like the second half, because we did, but because it was new. It was the shiny new story to read. <laughs> <laughs> well, in terms of how the book is paced, do you feel like it was enough of that coming of age? And then, go at, or did you feel like it was kind of abrupt to move into the Trojan War? I thought it all made sense with pacing. I liked the clip that it moved at. I read it pretty fast. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not a super long book, but I read it over the span of two days mm-hmm. and maybe in like five sittings. So not even that. No. Like I, I three did a, sittings. I did my normal buddy read system where I read about 100 pages and take good notes and then pick it yeah. up there. But that's, you know, three, four sittings and then yeah. I was done with it. it. It moved at a pretty quick clip. And yeah, I was fine with it, especially because of the way she was telling the story. It's not like it was super detailed. You weren't bogged down by descriptions. Yeah, I felt like it moved along proper. I I mean, obviously, could I have read more about Achilles and um, Patroclus, especially with Chiron learning things? Totally. Mm-hmm. I would have loved more of a training montage. <laughs> <laughs> but I was fine with what we got. Just picturing Rocky with the sweatshirt and out in the like punching in the freezer. <laughs> no, I think that that was my favorite section is when Chiron is teaching them basically not only how to be princes and warriors, but how to be good human beings, mm-hmm. like teaching them medical stuff, relationships, how to live off the land. Yeah. And it comes up, um, multiple times where Patroclus is really thinking about Chiron. And, you know, it seems to me, sorry, people, you're going to hear page flipping and stuff. It seems to me Patroclus was probably thinking about that time a lot more often than Achilles was. Oh, Achilles, as soon as he kills somebody, is not thinking Tunnel about vision. that anymore. He is thinking about his... His fame, his, his pride, story. his... Yep. Um, okay, well, I'll get to that later anyway. What? No. Is this, is, this your, is this your Hamilton reference that you're holding Did you on to? not think it was the same exact freaking story? You've got Patroclus, who's basically Eliza, and he's like, no, stay. Can't you be satisfied with what we have? And Achilles is like, no, I'll never be satisfied. I have to do with all of these things. I have to keep fighting. Keep writing. <laughs> also, I'm not throwing away my shot. Exactly, with his spear. And then there was a part of the book, I put it down, page 362... 
flip, 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 flip. Where they were like, okay, where basically he, Odysseus, is like, fame is a strange thing. Some men gain glory after they die while others fade. What is admired in one generation is abhorred in another. We cannot say who will survive the Holocaust of memory. Who knows? Perhaps one day even I will be famous. Perhaps more famous than you. Which I thought was a cute wink. That but was... also, I wrote, I read that and then I was like... <laughs> Who lives, who dies, who tells your story? Hamilton. <laughs> that is what that is right there. That's perfect. That's it, literally what Odysseus is saying. It's well, you look at them as both characters. They're both. They want to be remembered. Mm-hmm. They do, they cannot live with the thought of what they do doesn't matter, and right. that people won't remember what they're doing. Like that's one of my favorite lines from the movie. Troy is when Achilles is just like, that's why nobody's going to remember your name. Because mm-hmm. he knows that people are going to remember him. Um, I like that Briseis is even in on everything where she knows how Achilles is. Like there's a quote where she says, He gloried in his own strength like a racehorse too long penned. Mm-hmm. So Achilles is a boy trained on you know music and medicine. And Chiron is trying to make him into this well-rounded human being. But ultimately, he's just this racehorse out of a cage that is just going to murder. Like, that's all he's... It's essentially all he's good for. Like, in the second half of the book, he doesn't care about Patroclus. He cares about his story. He cares about being remembered. He cares about killing. That's Mm -hmm. That's all he cares about. He's literally Hamilton, though. Yeah, because Hamilton... Even the death is similar. (laughs) Hamilton is a Greek tragedy. I, I liked your reference. That was good. Okay, but what I was going to say was that Patroclus is consistently bringing up the learnings from Chiron. So obviously he goes into the medical tent. He's like, well, this is what I remember from us learning these things. And then um, there's a part where, now I'm going to reference the good place. (laughs) Um, Okay, so Chiron says, no man is worth more than another wherever he is from. And Achilles asks, but what if he is your friend or your brother? Should you treat him the same as a stranger? You ask a question that philosophers argue over, Chiron said. He is worth more to you, perhaps, but the stranger is someone else's friend and brother. So which life is more important? And Patroclus says, I know now how I would answer Chiron. I would say there is no answer. Whichever you choose, you are wrong. That's a trolley problem. It is the trolley problem. Nice reference. And that Patroclus tries to solve it. And of course, you know, there's no good solution to the trolley problem. You can't solve the trolley problem. But I thought it was really, I liked that callback to that and to Chiron and just having him be the voice of reason. Mm-hmm. Well, um, that just shows that Patroclus invested more mentally into that time. And during the war, that's a good callback. And Achilles is just like, why are you thinking about that? Like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just thinking about all these people that I'm going to kill. But in the moment, especially because Achilles asks him, what if he's your friend? You do see how much he's already thinking about loyalty and how much he cares about Patroclus. And although Achilles is completely blinded in the fog of war, we still see, like, at the end, what's his motivation? Once Patroclus dies, of course, he's still a war machine, but now he's emotional and he's still driven by that love and he's, that rage. He's trying to die. Yeah. That's that's the whole point mm-hmm. is I think I see the clearly defined lines of as soon as the war starts up until Patroclus dies, he's 
trying to build his story. Mm-hmm. After Patroclus dies, he it's one of those you don't realize what you have until it's gone. Mm-hmm. And at that moment, he realizes how much he cared about Patroclus and how much he loves him and wishes he was there. And then he just wants to be with him again, so he's trying to die. Like he's look, he's literally on the front doorstep of Troy, being like, "Give me the best you got. Mm-hmm. Somebody kill me, please." And then you know, it. I, I liked that they didn't talk about Achilles' death, like getting shot in the heel, because they completely ignore that as the invincibility thing. But Penny. But that they completely ignore the fact that he's supposed to be invincible and shoot him in the heel and all that stuff but essentially he's just trying to be with patroclus in the end because he looks at all the fame that he's accumulated and to him it doesn't matter anymore because he's not with him miller hinted at his heel and winked at us page 353 um paris is about to take his bow and arrow and shoot at achilles and paris goes where do i aim i heard he was invulnerable except for and then there's a dash, and Apollo interrupts him and says, he's a man, not a god. Shoot him. He'll die. Yeah, so there's not... She doesn't really dive in to saying that he is invincible. No, but that is a very clear reference to his heel and the myth. But then Apollo's like, he's he's a man. Exactly, which is her telling her version. But I thought that Paris asking, I heard he was invulnerable except for, and then getting cut off, was brilliant little wink. Do you want to talk about any more of the writing style that you enjoyed? Well, okay, so in terms of writing style, we talked about how this is like accessible literary fiction. Yes. It's not pretentious in in the fact that it's really page turning and readable. You don't have to go back and reread it to, in order to like quote get it. Um but I liked her simple prose style. I like when authors can accomplish a lot with a few words, and I thought she did that. I mean, she captured Odysseus's character when we were first introduced to him with like the within three sentences of just saying how he was standing. And I think she did that effectively with a lot of minor characters. Yeah. That was one of the big um, selling points for me why I really liked it is she'll devote like a sentence or two to talking about a character, like a lot of the minor kings and princes, mm-hmm. but you still feel like you know them yeah. and know what their motivations are. Um, and I just, I thought she's a great storyteller. I mean, she's she's telling this epic story and she manages to make the characters more human and to make it certainly more interesting, I think, than reading the Iliad. And oh, I think that that's, that's an accomplishment. Yeah. I was reading some reviews it was people that were annoyed that she won the Orange Prize because they didn't consider this to be literary or poetic enough compared to the Iliad. Just sounds like some jelly bellies. Well, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> you want to guess the gender of the reviewers who thought she didn't deserve the Orange Prize? Tell me he was a male in his 50s. Duh. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I think there's something to be admired about an author who can take something extremely poetic, flowery, this epic classic that a lot of people don't want to read because it's boring and it's not easy to read and to make it more accessible for a modern audience. I think that there's something to be admired in that. And that's, that is skill. It is a skill to write like that. So, well, it took a lot of work, like reading the back where it's the author interviews. She spent five years writing the first draft of this book and threw the whole thing out. 
Yeah. Like, and it took her five, like 10 years to complete the book. But that's a lot of dedication to like take something that you've spent five years on and just completely start from scratch. Mm-hmm. But that's just showing that she was dedicated and knew the backstory and knew the story that she wanted to tell. Mm-hmm. So I think she's very effective in using Patroclus as her narrator because he's able to insert himself into so many different circles. Yeah. Um, and then we see a lot of different perspectives and lots of different characters. So one thing I read, it was, she was interviewed about Cersei, her second novel, but I think this pertains to the first. And she mentioned that it takes her a really long time to hear the character, Mm -hmm. to hear the narrator and to hear their voice. And so I think you can definitely see that with the way that she narrates from Patroclus's perspective, that she took a really long time to work on his voice And that makes me excited to read Cersei. But one of my favorite parts of the book was um, like 241, 242. And she describes the fighting of like the other side characters. Mm -hmm. So she says Diomedes was fearless. He fought like a feral savage animal, leaping forward, teeth bared. And after he killed someone, he would lean wolfishly over the body to strip it and toss the gold and bronze into the chariot before he moved on. And Odysseus, he carried a light shield. He crouched like a bear. He held his spear in his sun-browned hand. He would watch the other men with glittering eyes and track the flicker of muscles for when the spear would come. And then after the spear flew, he would run forward and, and spear them. And I just, I really liked that part where she was describing them. And that was short two paragraph descriptions, but vivid image like I can definitely picture the battle happening and Mm -hmm. I think we've mentioned this before the reason that I haven't read Lord of the Rings is that I cannot read a 20 page battle scene oh come on I have zero patience for it come on this was perfect I felt like in terms of like yes there was some violence but it wasn't so much that I felt like it was overpowering and the battles all moved along at a fast clip so I never got bored when she was describing the battle scenes well I think she's more focused on the emotional reactions sure. of the characters from war. Mm-hmm. And while the, the examples that you just had were Diomedes and Odysseus about, I think that just shows how her descriptions of them previously, how that reflects in how they fight. Mm-hmm. Like I love Diomedes and Odysseus as like a buddy cop duo that was sent to go get Achilles because yes. they're just like brat. Well, Diomedes is very brash and vulgar, and Odysseus like takes shots at him and talking about his wife and all that stuff. But that just shows in how they fight. Like Diomedes mm-hmm. is very like going right at you, and I'm gonna run you over. And Odysseus is very calculated, cunning. Mm-hmm. He's just gonna find his advantage and he's gonna exploit it. And that's the same with how they talk. So mm-hmm. everybody for me kind of with how they were as characters reflected in how they fought, except for Patroclus. Like, when... Because he was so not skilled at fighting and was very much a healer and emotional support, that when he finally put on Achilles' armor, it was honestly a shock to me to see how he responded to that Mm -hmm. and the fact that he kind of had his own little bloodlust moment. Because I thought all the buildup that we had with him, that he would have not let that go to his head. But it might have just been, you know, actually feeling how Achilles felt, like physically being in his shoes, being mm-hmm. in his armor, 
and having the whole army look to you that I don't know how he couldn't feel how he did. Well, and it brings an interesting question of, is there an element of self-fulfilling prophecy to Achilles being the fighter that he is? Where he believes, because his mother has been telling him over and over again that he is blessed by the gods, he has this special ability. Everybody keeps telling him how amazing he is. They keep praising him for being the number one warrior. He has a couple of successes, sure. But is it partly self-fulfilling prophecy of him knowing that he's the greatest, he puts on this armor and takes on the role as the best? If he didn't believe it, would it really be true? Yes, because he beats a god in the, but ri- in the river. But that's part of the theme of are the gods in charge of your fate or are you in charge of it? Are you the one doing it or is it because fate has determined it beforehand? Mm-hmm. Is it self-fulfilling prophecy? Is that an element to it or is it just because he was born that way? And that's a huge theme in Greek mythology overall, but also in this book. Because Patroclus even... puts on his armor and he's able to fight like him and be amazing. Is True. it like the placebo effect? I don't know. I feel like he just got kind of lucky and then let it get to his head too much. Like, the man ran to the gates of Troy and tried to climb the wall. Like, mm-hmm. figure out your limitations, man. It's adrenaline. Yeah, but at the same time, it's he spent the whole book being, like, very anti-fighting and not good at it. And even when he would, they made him go out, he was attached to Achilles at the hip the whole time. So, I don't, I don't know. I feel like that was a very drastic shift where he just got the same level of euphoria that mm-hmm. Achilles got, but not the same level of skill. Yeah. I don't know. I, I feel like it's the same like thing that you, the themes that you'll see in Greek mythology where the gods will make these prophecies about people and people will be like, have like, and people like Achilles will have certain level of abilities that get them through. But then there's still the gods pulling the strings. Well, and so a couple of myths are referenced. They talk about Hercules, Heracles. Mm-hmm. Same, same. Same thing. Um, and they talk about him having a fatal flaw, being human, the gods' influence on him. So I, I did like how she referenced other myths and brought those into the story and sort of showed, like, this is what Achilles is going to follow. Like, like, And Achilles knows he's going to be one of the greats like them, but they suffered horrible heartbreak too. And that's part of what made them iconic. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I feel like she did a good job in selling the front end being like, maybe he won't. Yeah. But Because same... you have to kind of believe that in order to keep going in the book. When you know at the end he's going to die, you just have to have that feeling of like, but maybe, maybe they could be happy together forever. so then really was achilles biding his time waiting for the war to happen or do you feel like he was genuine with how he felt that's what i was saying before i don't know i don't know how do you feel i've kind of expressed that i feel like he was genuine if i'm just gonna go with based on my reading of the song of achilles and that i think madeline miller did a good job with writing it i'll believe achilles character arc do I believe in terms of mythology and like what I had in my head with Achilles? It doesn't totally connect with what I have in my head mm-hmm. of him sort of being raised as the golden boy and always believing that he was going to be a hero. Mm-hmm. That seems a little bit more believable to me, but it doesn't mean that I don't appreciate her retelling and her giving him more soft characteristics. I'm with you. I think we talked about the ending enough. 
Well, do you want to talk about it just a little bit more? The one or? point that I would highlight, like, is this after death role that Patroclus plays, where he's talking to Thetis. Mm-hmm. I thought that that was a very good technique by Madeline Miller to kind of send the story off being like Mm -hmm. hey I have all these like he says at the end that he's made of memories because the person of Achilles is so ingrained in his brain that all he can do is think about him now that he's dead well and so it follows so Patroclus and Achilles are buried together right their ashes are buried together but Patroclus's name is not written on the tomb Mm -hmm. that's that's what how this is written so because his name is not engraved there he cannot go to the underworld and be with achilles yet because so he's kind of stuck in this limbo area Mm -hmm. where he's just watching the aftermath of the battle so he gives us like a quick synopsis hey they built this horse and then they you know won the battle for troy Mm -hmm. and then they went home but he's still stuck there so it's kind of this thing of like if your name isn't written down in history you don't live on you're stuck so Mm -hmm. like his name's not written down. He's stuck. He can't live on with Achilles. So the way that Miller wrote it, they're written down together and they get to live on together mm-hmm. in and, this myth that she wrote. And the both of them appear in the underworld in the Odyssey mm-hmm. and in other stories. I, I thought it was a good device for Thetis to kind of... She's a goddess, so she doesn't really have humanity. Mm-hmm. But you see a more empathetic side to her where she's just like you know i lost everything that i was trying to build i thought that i was going to be elevated by my son achilles he's not here i tried to do the same thing with pyrus he's dead so she just wants to see some of the human side of the golden boy that she tried to raise so Mm -hmm. i I like that where patroclus is just telling his story about how he sees it because he and Thetis are very antagonistic for the whole story. So, because she doesn't want him bringing her son down. Mm-hmm. Classic, like, Midwestern mom who finds out that their son is gay. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> but it, it, I thought that that was a very redeeming ending for her character, being like, hey, I'm going to etch your mm-hmm. name in this tomb so that you can be together with my son. Yeah. I liked the end. I know a lot of people are like, it's heartbreaking, but I was like, you, you knew they were going to die. Gonna, you knew what was happening. <laughs> to, to me, the more interesting part of the story wasn't that the ending was surprising or done well. To me, it was the development of the characters as they were coming of age. Yeah. Like, I thought that that was a very good new story that I hadn't been exposed to, and I thought she did a good job. Absolutely. And I will easily ship the two of them. I'm, I'm Patrick Kelly's all the way. <laughs> All right, Curtis, do you have, uh, I was going to say some recommendations of the week. (laughs) Well, do you have some or one? I only have one. Um, So I listened to a very in-depth history podcast, and I feel like it's appropriate now that we're talking about the Song of Achilles. Um, The story isn't about the Trojan War, but if you like this and wanted more in-depth about that, um, Hardcore History with Dan Carlin releases one episode like every six months because they're so in-depth and researched and one of them dropped like in the last week or two and I just listened to it and now I'm going to have to wait another six months for his next episode. So so does he, if it takes six months, does he cover one topic over multiple years? Oh, or... yeah, yeah. 
like his series will be like multiple years talking about the same topic. Wow. Like this will probably be a two year project for him. Do you have a favorite of his past series? Uh, he did a, like a five part on the Mongols mm-hmm. and Genghis Khan, which was outstanding. That's like his quintessential heavily researched and well done mm-hmm. series was would probably be those. Cool. Um, not all of his episodes are available. Like they kind of time out on so whatever's available on your podcast. So I'm not sure. But if you're a history nerd like me and you like that intro that we do, um, just uh, check out Hardcore History. I wonder if he um, has a Patreon page. I'm sure he does. Which so probably would exp- like. I'll look it up for the show notes. Yeah. What's your recommendation for this week? So this is a book that I really want to read. I had it on my TBR list, but after reading The Song of Achilles, now I really want to read it. It's The Silence of the Girls by Pat Barker, and it tells the story of the Iliad from Briseis' perspective. Really? Yes. That's interesting, too. So it's from her perspective and the other women who were enslaved with her, and um, I think that that sounds super interesting. And it's gotten some really good reviews so far. But I think especially after reading the Song of Achilles and sort of re-familiarizing myself with the story of the Iliad, it's the perfect time to pick that one up. Agreed. So, um, I, it's, I checked. It's not at the library yet. So I'm going to have to wait because I have been trying really hard not to buy any books um, until March for my birthday. So I can wait. You can. You can. <laughs> All right, everybody. So thank you for subscribing and sharing He Read, She Read. Uh, special thanks to Anne Bogle for recommending this book. And it's the first one that we read uh, from our recommendations. Um, for everyone, we love reading your comments, posts, and reviews each week. Announcing Buddy Read for February is If Beale Street Could Talk by James Baldwin. We're going to be reading this with some of our IRL friends and having <laughs> them on the podcast. If you haven't left us a review on iTunes yet, please do. Those written reviews make a huge difference in our reach and they brighten our day. Connect with us on social media or email if you want to talk about the Song of Achilles. Um, we were lucky to have a lot of people reading this with us and posting about it. So continue that discussion on Twitter and Instagram at he read, she read, and email us at he read, she read podcast at gmail.com if you have any questions or something you want to bring up. Thank you for listening, and remember, the couple that reads together... Ships Patrick Achilles together. Nice, well done.